Let me say welcome to all of our campuses. There you go. It's a broken world. And uh, I'm going to say, hey, we're glad that you're connected today. Maybe you're online or you're one of our other campuses. And I hope you took in that whole thing about the pottery because I want you to know up front today that everybody is broken somewhere. And uh, Paul says we have this treasure in earthen jars, jars of clay, we're clay pots, and the world just does that to us. I mean, there are things that happen to us that we don't have any control over. Uh, there are things that we do that we wish we hadn't done. And it's so easy to kind of come into church or to come with a group of people and try to hide that. Because you're thinking, and I think this too a lot of times, if people really knew me and knew the hurt, if they really knew the brokenness, uh, they might not want me to be a part of their group. Uh, they may judge me. Uh, you know, something may happen where I feel all alone. You may leverage it against me. And you may be saying, well, where does that come from? If everybody is broken somewhere and that pottery is a picture of how things impact our life and break us and crack parts of us so that we're not whole, where's that come from? Well, it comes from Genesis chapter three. And when, when you see that Adam and Eve is in a perfect world, now think about this, perfect world, they're walking with God, they are husband and wife, they're one flesh, they have, they have no clothing on, and, and then in Genesis, and there's no shame. There's total vulnerability, it's being known totally, being accepted totally, and then in Genesis chapter three, boom. They, they break the glass, they break the pottery on everything that God has planned and placed in the world that is perfect. And what they get from that is, is shame. I mean, here you go, you, you've got people that are walking with God and all of a sudden God is walking in, in the garden and he's calling out their name and what are they doing? They are hiding and they are blaming. And, and that's what shame does. Shame is a powerful thing and it's taken me a lifetime to come to grips and I'm still working through this of what shame does to us. Shame is different from guilt when you do something wrong and you feel bad about it, that's guilt. You know, you go, hey, I don't need to do that anymore. Shame is really different. Shame is where you say, hey, I'm bad. I, I am broken and I am unworthy and I am unlovable and I've got to work really hard because if I don't work really hard, then man, nobody is going to accept me. And, and that's what shame looks like. Now, I tried to kind of play a picture in my mind the first time I experienced shame because uh, I don't know about you, but man, I don't like thinking about painful things. And it's one of the reasons we hide shame and hurt and abuse and, and all the things that happen to us, abandonment, uh, because it, it hurts to look at, it hurts to feel that. And, and it just feels better to, to hide it and to cover it and, and to do more things and let it propel me to, to, to succeed and perform. Because if I can perform enough, then I'll be worthy. You'll keep filling that cup up. You'll keep putting some pieces back together before then something happens and that piece falls off again. 
Uh, when I was in kindergarten, I know you're like, man, you, you mean you, you, you remember those things from 100 years ago? Yeah. Um, you remember trauma. And I was six years old, and I remember, and my mom's probably watching this, and I feel so bad, but, but the first day of kindergarten, everybody brought out their stuff, you know, and laid their stuff out, and, and man, they had these backpacks, and they had these really cool lunch boxes, and, and I was okay until they got to the crayons. Because they, my friends, the people that I was about to get to know that I would go through all of my school days together were bringing out boxes of crayons that had sharpeners. I don't know if you, like this was 100 years ago. That was a big deal. That'd be like a Mac computer. And, and, and I pulled out my crayons that they give you like at a Mexican restaurant so that you can make it through the meal with your kids. And, and I thought, man, well, what is wrong? Like... Why do I have this? And, and there was nothing wrong with the crayons. It's just it's the first time that I realized, man, there, there are different things here. And it made me feel a certain way. You're going like, man, that is so lame. I mean, there are people you know, starving in Africa right now, and you're worried about that. Yeah, but I was six. I didn't know anybody that was starving. See, see, I was in the fourth grade, and I had a teacher. And, and let me just say, if you're a teacher, it is so important that you understand your words matter. And, and for some reason, I was sitting toward the back of the class. The teacher just did not like me, now, which shocks me because, uh, you know, I'm such a likable person. I'm fun. I'm talkative. I move around a lot. I can't keep my hands to myself. I mean, I am a, like an amazing guy, and she would just be so critical and like, you're sitting back there like a knot on a log. Can't you read? And I could read, but I couldn't see, and I didn't know. I didn't know that I had bad eyesight. And, and I didn't know that shaming people shame people. And so you take in all of that and you begin to form an identity of who you are. The psychologist called it the looking glass self, where you begin to form your identity based on how you think other people think and feel about you. Now let that sink in because that's what's happening. Where, where the people in your life, when you look in the mirror, you're not looking like, hey, this is who I am. You're going, this is who I feel like I am based on what has been happening to me and been done to me. And some of you have come into these environments or you listen to this message at another time and, and you're looking in the mirror saying, I'm bad. I'm broken. I deserve these things to happen to me. And then you throw in, uh, you know, fake book. I mean, you got fake book over there. You got Instaham. You, you got tick tacky, and then you're looking at that, and you're like, man, look at them. I mean, look at that. I mean, like, I'm really terrible. I'm really bad. I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have this over here. And you're letting people who did not create you define your identity. And, and one of the things I want to say to you today, and I got to hurry because now I'm realizing there's a lot more that I, I want to say than I might have time to say, but I'm going to get done on time, is the fact that your identity Get this, this is a big one. Your identity in Christ, this is why it's so important for you to know Jesus. <clears throat> Your identity is received and not achieved. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, everywhere else, you got to achieve, you got to perform. Listen, my mom said you would cry. I, I hope your kids don't play sports because if you didn't win, if you even tied, you cried yourself to sleep at night. You know why? I was only as good as my performance. I didn't know that. I, 
know I was trying to work my way into being a good person or being liked or, you know, or... And so Jesus comes along and he puts things right. Jesus does something today. And if if you don't like Jesus, you're just just not right. Okay, I almost said some other things. But if you don't understand how much Jesus loves you in spite of everything that's been done to you or what you've done, then you just don't understand the Bible. Because today Jesus has an appointment. Get this. This is God, okay, in human form. He has an appointment with a person, and he goes the the worst possible route, the most dangerous route. It'd be like going to to, to West Memphis and walking through nothing against Memphis, but, you know, or going down on Bourbon Street, you know, or behind Bourbon Street and and walking. They check you for a gun. If you don't have one, they give you one. Yeah, and so he's got to go down. He says, I got to go down this scary path. And he has a conversation with a woman. It's a woman. See, if you go, oh, Christians, they just, they just, you know, they hate on women. No, Jesus, man, Jesus loved this woman. He, He talked with her more than he talked with anybody else in the Bible. The longest conversation recorded in the Bible is between Jesus and a woman who's been around, if you know what I mean. And, and he tells her, the first one, he goes, hey, I want you to know, this is before the disciples. He says, I want you to know that I am the Messiah. I'll tell you a secret, I'm Messiah. And he uses the first I am in the book of John, where in I am is in the Old Testament, for that is the name of God, I am. What's my name, I am? And all this happens to this woman, and it begins to change her because she has come to this well with, with, with a jar filled with shame. I mean, if, if, we were, if we had the jar she had, it is cracked, it is broken, it is leaking. It, it is one, it's just a jar that she's had all through all of her relationships, which are many. And she's gotten accustomed to being used. She has found herself as a person like, this is what I deserve. This is the way I am. And then she meets Jesus. John chapter 4. I got to read this, okay? It's going to take some time, but I got to read it. And if you've not seen The Chosen, the, the, the first episode, like the first season, the last episode, it's got a, a storyline of this. And you need to go see it. I wept last night. Like Alicia went in there, and I wept out loud. You know, I can't do that in front of Alicia, you know, because be ashamed. Okay, so chapter 4, verse 4. Now, Jesus said, I got to go through Samaria. <laughs> that, that takes too long to tell you what that means. So he came to a town in Samaria called Crooked, Sakar, which means drunken. It's a party town near the plot of ground where Jacob had given his, to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from a 30-mile journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came out to draw water. And Jesus said to her, why are you so like loose? You need to repent. Here's four spiritual laws. You need to read that and get back to me. I'm sorry. It's not what it said. That's what we want to say, though. I'm sorry. I had to throw that in there because like about seven minutes, you start like, you know, doing like this and I had to grab you. So just know, count you on your clock seven minutes. I'm going to grab you again. And Jesus said, hey, could you please, ma'am, would you please give me a drink? The disciples had gone to Chick-fil-A Saturday. 
And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would ask him for a drink, and he would have given you living water. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also the sons and his livestock? And Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, because nothing in this world is going to satisfy you. But whoever drinks of the water I give to them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so I don't have to get thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. He said, well, go call your husband and come back. Uh-oh. You think Jesus ain't cool? You, you, you think Jesus ain't the baddest man who's ever lived? He goes, well, I ain't got a husband. He goes, he says, I know you ain't got a husband. In fact, the one you've had five, and the one you're with now ain't your husband. So what you said is quite true. Does that mean? Hold on. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship in this mountain, but you Jews can't, can't claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He's never told anybody else that, that God is spirit. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that you're a Messiah called the Christ. When he comes, uh, then he will explain to us everything. Jesus said, I am he. Jesus said, I am the Messiah, girl. I am Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, I love this story because here is the lady, and, and uh, I use that term loosely because um, she had had a, a bunch of relationships. And see, you may be here, and, and, and that's you, or you're listening, and you didn't even come to church. Like, if people knew, like, I'm a homewrecker. Like, like, I'm not going to, like, if, if people saw me at church, they would run the other way. And that's why she's coming at noon to the, to the well. It, it'd be like you going to Walmart at midnight so you don't run into your exes from Texas. It, it'd be like you and mean girls eating lunch in the bathroom because you didn't want to be around the ladies who are going to be so mad at you because you've been messing around with their husbands. And so she comes to the well to get water and, and this jar represents so much about her. It represents what she fills her life with. And Jesus is going to kind of draw attention to this with regard to men because she has gone to men to somehow make her feel whole about herself. If I just got the right man, then, then everything will be all right. And Jesus asked her a question. Now, I just think that's cool because he could have said, let me tell you something. You know, I, I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm the Savior. You need to get saved. You're going, okay. He asked her a question. He's kind. 
You say, wait a minute, you, you, you mean sinners? You mean sinners can come to church and feel comfortable in church? I hope they feel comfortable with Jesus. Uh-oh. And he's weak. See, see, people are impressed by your strength, but they're influenced by your weakness. He says, could you give me a drink? And, and this woman is so broken. This woman is so shamed that she gets cynical and she gets angry. Why are you asking me for a drink, Mr. Man? You're going to be like every other man I've been with where, where you're going to try to tell me what to do. And then when I do it, you're going to like hurt me and leave me and, and divorce me like every other man. I just I like, I get it. Okay. She's shamed. She's got a shame bond. She, she, is only, she only feels comfortable around people that are going to take advantage of her. See, here's the thing about shame. You can get a shame bond. I get this, where, where you grew up in a family and uh, you were abused as a kid and then you get married to what kind of person? An abuser. Because you feel like that's all you deserve. I mean, I deserve that. that. That's the way I see people get married and they come out of really bad backgrounds and they don't realize that they're coming out of terrible backgrounds and somebody's got a big jar of this and they get married and all of a sudden the, the marriage gets good and they start making a little money and everything gets comfortable and one of them, whoever's got a shame bond, says, I got, I got to collapse this because they're going to collapse on me. I need to do it first because I like chaos. I like shame. I like to be used. And they get a divorce. I see it happen all the time. There's a scarcity mentality of people who are propelled by shame. I don't deserve this. I am no good. If I don't take advantage of you, I have no reason to be alive. And then Jesus starts peeling back the layers. He says, go get your husband. I just think that's cool. Like, like if I met you the first time, you know, and I kind of knew something about you, but you didn't know I knew about you. And I said, hey, uh, who you, who you like, who you sleeping with this weekend? That'd be awkward. Awkward. And, and so what she says, she goes, well, I, I don't have a husband. Yeah, you got that right. You've had Joe, you've had Jack, you've had John, you've had Steve, you've had Ralph. Well, Ralph was a doozy. And now you're, you're all the way back around. This is a small town, girl. You're going to run out of people. And Jesus is peeling back the layers. And he says, hey, hey, if, if, if you knew who I was, I would give you living water. And, and she says, hey, you don't have a jar. You, you, you don't have a way to get this water. You, 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 you can't do this. Like, 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 it's not possible. See, Christianity is not just about you knowing more information about God. I keep saying this and nobody's listening. Christianity is not you getting more information about the Bible. It's you allowing God to give you more information about you. Where you're broken. Why you're struggling. What's going on in here that doesn't seem to fill you up? And she says, give me that water. 
And see, at the church, this is what we do. When you say, give me that water, you know, I want to know Jesus. I want to be saved. You know what we do? We say, okay, let, let, let's, let's get them in adventure one-on-one. Let's get them in a house church, and, and, and it's over. And listen, there's more to Christianity than you going to heaven and getting more information about God. There's a lot more. God wants to heal you of those things in your life that you've been blaming him for of those things that happened to you when you were a little kid. He wants to heal you. And he does surgery on her. He's basically saying, why are you, why are you doing this? What are the triggers that are, that are causing you to act this way? And, and this could be with anything. This could be with alcohol. This could be with drugs. This could be with porn. This could be with performance. This could be with money. This could be with your looks. This could be with working out where you go, hey, I got to have this to cover everything up because I want to be accepted. He goes, why are you doing that? And I have a theory that the reason a lot of people leave church is because when you get close to where they're hurting, it scares them. And they say, I'm not being fed. I'm not being fed. It's a deflection from dealing with what's really broken in their heart. Because she says, hey, I, well, I want to tell you, I know, I, I know I've been with a lot of people, but I go to church over there. I go over there on that mountain. My uncle was a preacher. And, 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 and Revelation, the book of Revelation. Let's talk about the book of Revelation because, because I know the book of Revelation is going to tell us when the Messiah is coming back. He says, I am the Messiah. I am here. See, 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 people that are religious, this is why he goes all the way to Samaria to talk to this woman who's been with every man in town. See, religion is a mask that you wear that tells you you're okay because you do certain things. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not just what you believe, it's what God is doing in you, where the Bible reads you like an MRI, where God comes inside of you and begins to heal you so that you're not propelled by shame and performance and hurt and anger. See, see the one reason I love Mardi Gras, and like, can I just, I'm not, look, if you're in Mardi Gras, I'm not like, it's fine, I want to be king one day. I just, I don't know how you do that. I want to be king one day, you know. If you're king, like, could you, pack, you know, throw, throw me a crown. But Mardi Gras is where we really get to be who we are if you're in Mardi Gras because you pull those tights up, you know, of religion, you know, for some of you. That's what you do. It's the only time you, you, you can dress up and hide your face and you feel normal. Put that mask on. Because that's what most people do with their lives. And this is the thing that just baffles me. Jesus put her at ease. Can, can I tell you something that I'm trying to learn in, in, in these waning years? It's how to be in the presence of God and just relax. J just enjoy the moment. He, he says, I am the Messiah. He says, I am living water. 
Here's the thing about water. If you've ever had water damage, you know this. If you ever had a flood or a pipe break, water always descends to the lowest area, the basement, those cracks in the crevice, the, uh, the closets. And, and that's what is happening with the living water in her. It's just kind of washing over her. It's going through every single thing in her life. It's not just saving her soul. It's healing her shame. And she gets so comfortable with them. You know, when you're comfortable with people, you can be yourself, you can let your guard down, and, and, uh, and that's what church ought to be. You ought to be comfortable with Jesus. You ought to be comfortable with what he's trying to say to you because he wants to heal you. And so let me ask you, as we kind of begin to land the plane, can you name your shame? You say, oh, I sure can. Man, I sure, I live with it every day. I, I'm probably going to go back to it because the only time I feel normal, it's kind of like a drug addict. I don't know if you know this about drug addicts. I've been around a lot of drug addicts, and um, a lot of them are my friends, a lot of them are dead. They only felt normal when they were using. Isn't that crazy? See, people that live with shame and won't get healed, they only feel normal when their life is chaotic. And there's hurt and abuse. And for the first time in this lady's life, she feels normal with Jesus. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, the Bible says that she was so enamored with Jesus and, and the conversation that they had and the surgery that he did, it says that she left her water jar and, and went back into town. And on the chosen, she's running, hollering, hey, come see the man who's told me everything I've ever did. Hey, Joe, he told me about you. Joe's going, oh, you, oh, you, oh, you, oh, Jack, he told me about you. Well, you're my mom. No, 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 yeah. And she's hollering, come see him, come see me. And so there's such a difference in her life. There's such a change in her face that the whole town gets saved. <laughs> you didn't go to seminary. She ain't been saved 30 seconds. And the disciples show up. This is why I love, see, this is why I love the Bible. The disciples show up with sacks of Chick-fil-A. You, what are you doing talking to that woman? You not know what kind of woman that is? Jesus said, I have food that you know not of. I, it just, I, I'm sorry, but I just, I love Jesus. Like, he would rather talk to this woman than eat with those disciples. He said, look out. The fields are white unto harvest. Pray that the Father will send more laborers to harvest it. I want you to do something. I want you to bow your heads at all of our campuses for just a moment. And I want you to get comfortable like you get comfortable at the beach. Now, not with the beverage necessarily. Although if you want to picture that in your head, it's okay. 
But I want you to kind of sit back in that chair, rock back in that chair just a little, and just for a moment, enjoy the fact that Jesus sees you and loves you. Yeah, kick back. Yeah, kick back. He, he sees you. He sees the darkest parts of you. And, and, and the water, the living water is flowing all the way down to the bottom of that. He's going, I got you. You can't out my grace. He said, I already know about that. And I, I love you. I, I want to heal you. I want to work in you. You say, well, how does that happen? Well, you begin to turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What are you trying to fill the jar with? It's not satisfying you. Jesus says, remember, none of that is going to fill you because you were made for and by Jesus. So this morning, we're going to have a little session in here where you're relaxing in the presence of a, of a God who loves you, who's not mad at you, who, who had an appointment with you this morning to say to you, I've got water. <laughs> I've got what you're really thirsting for. You, you can set aside your jar and you can come to me, but you got to name it. You got to name your shame. And then if you want to come at all of our campuses, we're going to do this great song together uh, live at all of our campuses. And the fact is that God didn't just give you pieces of his heart. He gives you his heart. And if you want to come and just, just metaphorically lay your jar down, go to the cross and let it reflect who Jesus is to you. He's your savior. He's your friend. He took all of your shame. He took all of your sin, past, present, and future. He loves you. If you want to go and take the Lord's Supper and be reminded, he loved you so much, he died for you. Let him love you. Father, I don't understand the gospel because God, it is too great for me to wrap my mind around but Father, we do want to experience it today. So pour out your living water on us. Fill our hearts, displace the shame and the guilt and the anger and the hurt. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Take 60 seconds just to let this wash over you. Prepare your hearts to respond to his love.